What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Victory Monday edition, the November 5th edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins finish off the sweep of the New York Jets. We'll cover all the key moments from the game, break down some of the play calling, personnel decisions, and individual performances, and what the hell is going on with Rashad Jones. This team, winners, losers, boring ass game say what you will but they are always entertaining and we'll cover all of that plus the one big thing but first before any of that i kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review give me a follow on twitter at wingful nfl Follow the show at Locked On Fins and check out my work as well as the rest of the team's work over at LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. The post-game recap thoughts from myself as well as Jason Harina up live on the site right now. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have a busy, busy show today. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins and first down on the Locked On Dolphins podcast today is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And first things first here, the win is what we should be talking about in the A block here, but it's not the biggest story of the day. It's Rashad Jones. Jones did not play beyond the first quarter in this game because of what was deemed a player's personal choice to be removed from the lineup in the game on Sunday. So he came out of the game on his own accord and Dave Hyde of the Sun Sentinel reports that it was not an injury or anything team-related, and 100% Rashad Jones' decision to not play in the game beyond the third series of the game for the Dolphins' defense. And after the game, nobody was at Rashad Jones's locker. It was empty. The other players in the locker room didn't know where he was either. He had left early and was not available for the media. So I assume this is something that's going to carry on into the week, and I'm sure something we'll talk about all week long. And I went back and tried to find where that disconnect came or why he was unhappy or maybe to pick up something from the videotape and it's not really easy to tell there's a couple of videos where you see communication kind of going awry back and forth there's one good clip where Rashad Jones TJ McDonald and Minka Fitzpatrick are trying to relay their coverage responsibilities on a play and all three of them look confused and Jones comes off the field as the Jets burn a timeout Jones comes off without really any interest in trying to get things fixed Whereas Minka Fitzpatrick approaches TJ McDonald on the back end and they start hashing things out and trying to figure out what they're doing on defense. And then one series later, Kiko Alonso gets his interception off of Sam Darnold and Jones doesn't really look like he wants to block on the play. And then Kiko goes over to the sideline and gets laid out and Jones sees the entire thing happen and walks away and doesn't come to his guy's defense or his guy's aid, despite the fact that Alonzo took a cheap shot on the opposition sideline. I just thought that was strange. I'm not going to assign too much to it, but it seemed strange. It seemed out of character, especially for a veteran leader guy like Rashad Jones, especially for a Dolphins team that's supposed to be very, very close-knit at all levels. So maybe I'm reading too far into that. But as far as where Rashad Jones goes from here, this is really something that it's we don't have a good answer on it right now, but it doesn't seem good. It's it's just another thing on top of a multitude of things with this team, with this organization, and with this coaching staff right now. And just real quick to finish up the point in that Dave Hyde article, which I linked on the Locked On Dolphins recap post up on lockedondolphins.com right now. 
He talks about how Rashad Jones has a history of showing up to meetings late or not being the best teammate, racking up fines because of his late or tardiness within the Dolphins organization. So apparently he's not the best teammate, which is news to me and really a surprise. But the entire thing put Matt Burke in a very precarious spot and changing gears here. Matt Burke responded. The plan was pretty experimental. Saw a lot of Cornell Armstrong, Torrey McTire in the game, but he had to adapt even more once Jones came off the field. And that plan really revolved around classic principles from Matt Burke's defense, a four-man pass rush, and using coverage to help your defense get takeaways and rely on those two defensive ends to get pressure. And that was the case today. The defensive ends found pressure, the linebackers peeled back into some soft zone shell type of coverages, and the linebackers were the big shock of the game. Their keys in the running game were so much better. The run defense was miles, miles better than it has been. The tackling was way better. The coverage with those spot drops, robbing the hook zone and the flats, they did so well in both those areas. Jerome Baker gets himself a big time interception, takes it back to the house. A great read on Sam Darnold. Jerome Baker looked fantastic. Kiko Alonso was smart and got himself into the position to make a play on a dig route from receiver he gets a pick Walt Akins had one TJ McDonald had one as well but the Dolphins linebackers played really really well in this game and back to the pressure packages up front Cam Wake played really really well had the two sacks was affecting the side the right side of the offensive line for the Jets all game long dented the edge in the running game he had by far his best game of the year and Mika Fitzpatrick for all the stuff he has done this season he might have had his best game because he played three positions in this game he started off as the base cornerback on the outside in place of Bobby McCain he played some nickel inside as well and then went back to free safety to take over for Rashad Jones so they're loading more stuff on Mika Fitzpatrick's late plate it's about time they're late doing that but it's better late than never and he looked fantastic in all three roles this kid has so much potential ahead of him. Other cornerbacks, Xavier Howard was fantastic in the game as he usually is. Bobby McCain played much better in the slot. He had a big time tackle on a third and seven crossing route that could have been an easy first down if he missed that tackle. I mentioned McDonald. He was fantastic. Devon Godshaw was very good in this game, creating double teams and holding his ground against those doubles. Akeem Spence had a big bounce back game. The new guys, Sylvester Williams and Ziggy Hood, they played okay in this game as well. And a quick shout out to the special teams because Jason Sanders has missed one field goal all year. He's been almost perfect down the middle every time. And the way that this punt return team or the kickoff team or kick return game, everything this special teams group does is really nice. The pressure packages that Darren Rizzi creates in the punting game always seem to get Jakeem Grant good opportunities, and we know how good he is at taking advantage of those. The lane integrity on punt coverage and kick coverage is always fantastic. So Darren Rizzi, once again, a tip of the cap to you, sir. All things told, it was just nice of Sam Darnold to pull a Brock Osweiler before Brock Osweiler could pull a Brock Osweiler in this game. The four picks were obviously the difference, and while the defense was great, the offense, it was not. We'll go over the offense's lackluster performance and my confidence in Gaze dipping to new lows. I'll discuss all that on the other side, but first, a word from my bookie. Another weekend of the football season has come and gone, and my inbox on Twitter continues to get packed full of questions asking me who am I betting on this week, and as you guys know, it's not about who you're betting on, it's about who you're betting with, and that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie, the best bet you'll make all season. MyBookie has been in business for years. They have great reviews online and their mobile site is easy to use. Lay some cash down and win big today. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good 
to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie where you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each and every game. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when using promo code locked on. That's one word, promo code locked on to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Bad snap again. Corrals it, and he's picked off. On the return, it's Baker, and Baker scores! And that's Jerome Baker taking it back to the house on Sam Darnold, his interception really put the game on ice for the Miami Dolphins going up by 10 points in that late third quarter for the Miami Dolphins surviving this one, I suppose, and the defense really rescuing an offense that was just absolutely atrocious all game long. How they survived this and got out with a win really is kind of beyond me and how this Dolphins team is five and four right now. It's kind of a mystery beyond what they were those first three games. They played pretty good football for the most part, but the last five or six weeks hasn't been as pretty. A lot of backups, a lot of questions around the offense and this coaching staff's ability to get something out of this offense. And in this game, it wasn't any different. We're already down Marquise Gray, Josh Zitton, Dan Kilgore. Kenny Stills has missed game a game. Ryan Tannehill's missed a whole bunch of games. We've been without Albert Wilson, one of the team's best players all season long for a couple of games now. And once again, the offensive tackles go down in this game. Laramie Tunzel and Jawan James. James returns to the game, but it's said that he needs an MRI on Monday. As you guys hear this podcast, he's probably getting that MRI and his future looks a little bit undecided right now. Laramie Tunzel, on the other hand, did not return to the game. And in their place, Zach Stirrup was an absolute tire fire at offensive tackle, gave up two sacks off the right side, couldn't do anything in the running game. I don't know what Miami does if these guys are not healthy and cannot get back, but they absolutely have to have them back because they are the only players on this offensive line really getting it done right now. Jesse Davis had a rough game today as well. Travis Swanson, not his best showing. And Ted Larson continues to get beaten like a drum at left guard. He's been very bad. And speaking of very bad, Brock Osweiler was atrocious in this game. Absolutely dreadful. Missing throws all over the place. Had Danny Amendola wide open downfield for a deep connection. Overthrew him. Threw him behind Devontae Parker on a wide open crossing route. A deep over route where Parker got open. His sense of pressure and dealing with it is completely not there anytime he has to go off script it's not going to work and then that brings us back into the skill positions and the personnel decisions of Adam Gaze as they continue to roll out funky formations or funky personnel groupings and the carry discrepancy between Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake my god 20 carries for Frank Gore three carries for Kenyon Drake Kenyon Drake gets three carries in the football game and it's not like Gore was out there gashing the Jets defense every single play. He had 20 carries for 53 yards, 2.7 a clip, and Kenyon Drake only gets three looks, albeit he was more involved in the passing game. But this is a guy that every 20 or so t- touches he gets, he can take the top off the defense, he can make the big play, 
and the Dolphins are taking about three games to get him those 20 touches. Him and Jakeem Grant together, both being completely ignored in this offense. Jakeem Grant had two targets, one catch. That one catch did extend a drive on a third and long play, a crucial conversion there, but they continue to go with guys like Frank Gore, Danny Amendola, even Devontae Parker getting back now gets to be elevated over the likes of Kenyon Drake and Jakeem Grant. And Albert Wilson did the same thing when he was early on the season. He was kind of the forgotten guy before he forced them to play him more by making plays every time he touched the damn ball. It just seems curious in terms of what they're doing with the personnel. The play calling is not getting better in that sense. They had three plays that I wrote down that I just can't understand. One of them was a third and one stretch play or a third and one play where they ran a stretch zone to the outside part of the formation to the right side of the formation. And they asked Travis Swanson to reach block Leonard Williams. A reach block is where you have to get your inside shoulder all the way to his outside shoulder and get in front and wall him off. That is an impossible block for most guys, especially on Leonard Williams. Dumbass play call. They lose two yards, have to punt the ball back. First and 20, inside handoff. Let's get two yards and make it second and 18. Fantastic. That's a white flag play. A later drive. It's a second and 18. Inside handoff again. White flag, waving it. The offense was just an absolute train wreck all game long from the quarterback, the play calling, the personnel decisions to the offensive line play. The receivers didn't do their part. The running backs weren't great. That's how you get 13 points, seven of those coming from the defense. Miami Dolphins offense has so many issues right now, and it might get even worse with the injuries up front. But in this game, they're really... I'm, I'm trying to be more optimistic after a victory, but on this side of the ball, what is there to be optimistic about? This team really needs Ryan Tannehill back, and I know he's not the long-term answer. I know he's mediocre. I know he's all these things that Dolphins fans want to make him out to be, but I'll tell you what he is. He's way, way, way better than Brock Osweiler, and two elements of his game can change things for this offense in terms of making them better than the absolute tire fire we saw on Sunday. One, his big arm allows you to stretch things out and gets more guys involved. It challenges every blade of grass and creates more opportunities in the playbook with the big arm. And number two, the exact same idea, but just with his legs and what he offers in the running game on the zone read, getting outside, keeping another defender responsible for the quarterback because of his speed. So Miami, offensively, I don't really know how it gets better. Ryan Tannehill is really the one thing that you can point to. If he comes back, they can play better. But even with his injury right now, we'll see what happens with that. As for the day on Sunday, it was almost a perfect day for Dolphins fans. Obviously, anytime the team wins, that's a great day. Anytime the Bills lose, that's a better day. Anytime the Jets lose, that's an even better day. The Patriots couldn't quite finish it off as they did beat the Green Bay Packers in their contest. But the Dolphins 1972 team are the lone unbeaten team, and it will remain that year for another season as the Rams lost in New Orleans to the New Orleans Saints. And I know I can be kind of a curmudgeon on the topic of the 1972 Dolphins because I wasn't alive, and I'm not that big of a fan of the team for that reason. But because I am a Dolphins fan, I know a lot of you guys do care about it, and it means a lot to a lot of people. I'll play along. There's your champagne popping for the 1972 Miami Dolphins, the only undefeated team in NFL history, and it'll stay that way for a while longer. Going back to the current team, I talked about Laramie Tunzel and Jawan James and their injuries. At this point, the Dolphins might have to start street-free agents against the Green Bay Packers along the offensive line, but that's for a later podcast later down this week. And we'll have you guys updated on all the injuries and news around Rashad Jones and the team throughout the course of this coming week. But it is time for the one big thing. And we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. 
Victory Monday on the Locked On Dolphins podcast with you guys here, Travis Wingfield, as always, November the 5th. And let's go ahead and get you caught up on where the Dolphins are in the playoff race because we are in a playoff race right now after the 13-6 win over the New York Jets. Right now, Miami is currently 7th in the American Football Conference, just one half game behind the Cincinnati Bengals for the 6th seed in the AFC. The Bengals play the New Orleans Saints next week, so it would seem plausible that if Miami somehow, somehow can find a way to beat the Green Bay Packers, they would be in a playoff spot heading into their bye week. Of course, that's a tall order for the Dolphins, but also a tall order for the Bengals, and Miami in a position now to really make their move and try to, I guess, make a move to the playoffs if they can find a way to improve all those weaknesses. As for the game next week, the Patriots knocked off the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football, but the Packers lost some key names in that game too. They might be down Kevin King, the good-looking cornerback out of UW. Blake Martinez, the awesome-looking linebacker they have this year. The right tackle, Brian Balaga, he could be out as well. This team has a lot of injuries, a multitude of injuries, just as the Miami Dolphins do. So maybe they'll sort of offset in that way. And that will provide us with a good segue into our final segment on the show here in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, as injuries are providing a bit of an excuse for a coaching staff. But should they? That brings us into the one big thing. One big thing. What makes a good coach in the National Football League? Is it his ability to motivate men? His prowess on the X's and O's chalkboard? One thing we know for sure is that a great head coach will always maximize the talent that he has. Sure, without the Jimmys and Joes, the X's and O's don't do a whole lot. Every great coach has had at least good players. But what happens when those good players are on the roster, but falling out of favor for other, less impactful players? This seems to be a growing trend under Adam Gaze. It took him six games to figure out Jay Ajayi was better than Arian Foster. It took an injury to Damian Williams before he unleashed Kenyon Drake onto the league in 2017, and it was a similar story with Jakeem Grant late last year. Both of those guys, mega playmakers capable of scoring every single time they touch the football, find themselves in a rotational numbers game that limits their impact each and every Sunday. Devontae Parker and Danny Amendola are nice players, but do they deserve the lion's share of work over Jakeem Grant? Does Frank Gore deserve 20 carries to Drake's three in a game? Adam Gaze is a really, really smart guy. He's brash. He's abrasive. He knows more about football than all of you and myself combined will ever know in our lifetimes. He's a great coordinator, but that skill doesn't always mean you're a great head coach. What has Gaze's saving grace been since he's been the head coach of the Miami Dolphins? Where is this explosive offense that we were supposed to see this year, last year, 2016? What do we make of the defensive staff he has assembled? And does he even pay attention to that side of the ball? You just struggle to find sticking points with Adam Gaze. And yeah, they win the close games a lot. But these are often against teams that, frankly, aren't any good. We know the recipe when the team goes on the road to play a good team. It's a lopsided loss every single time. So that brings us back to Rashad Jones and this offseason of shipping out the riffraff that Gaze himself believes was the cause of the losing season in 2017. But here we are, November 5th of 2018, and the best player on the Miami Dolphins roster, a future Ring of Honor inductee, has decided that sitting on the bench is a more attractive option than playing for this coaching staff any longer. I've given a lot of leeway to Adam Gaze and his staff when it wasn't the popular thing to do. 
I spent the entire summer justifying his actions with the aforementioned malcontents. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this situation until we learn more about Rashad Jones. But for now, this whole thing just seems incredibly murky. We'll talk more about this team's injuries and the impact it's had on this team and this coaching staff later in the week, but I just wanted to get that whole monologue off my chest and kind of relay my thoughts on the coaching staff updated now through 41 games of their their tenure here in Miami, and it's really arrived in this place of I don't know more now than it ever has, and of course, all of that can change with a nice little winning streak, and the Dolphins have an opportunity. I know the game in Green Bay is going to be very difficult, but at the Colts, home for the Bills, and then even home for the Patriots is a game they have won in the past. If Miami wants to get all this naysaying criticism off their back, even at 5-4, and four, even with a winning record, it's all in front of them. They have every opportunity to go out and win ball games. They have two games with the Bills. I mentioned the game at the Colts. They play the Jaguars, who are just not a good team this year. This team has an opportunity to go out and find 10 wins if they just beat the teams that they're, I suppose, let's just call them their peers, the teams right in their class of the NFL. Can they do it? Maybe. Will they do it? I guess we're going to find out. And now let's go ahead and close things out on a positive note. The Dolphins have beaten the Jets five of the last six times the two teams have played, and we did it with Ryan Tannehill twice. That's fine. That's, a, that's kind of a given. But here's the funny part. The other three starters, Matt Moore, Jay Cutler, and Brock Osweiler. <laughs> Brock Osweiler, Jay Cutler, and Matt Moore. Those guys were good enough to beat the Jets. And if you ask me, that's a great way to end the podcast as that is my time on this Victory Monday podcast of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WinkleNFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. Keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Victory Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.